We appreciate all of the guests who have appeared on our show and sincerely thank them for providing you, our audience, with useful information. However, the advice our guests provide is theirs, and we encourage you to seek out a professional if you have specific questions about any topic we cover on the Crushing Debt podcast. On this week's episode of the podcast, personal finances and life events. Welcome to the Crushing Debt Podcast with your host, Florida attorney Sean Yesner, where our goal is to help you get rid of the financial bullies in your life. So welcome back to this week's episode of the Crushing Debt Podcast. My name is Sean Yesner, owner and founder of Yesner Law, and I have a guest on this week's episode. Before I get to my guest, though, I did want to uh, give a shout out to our sponsor, Sam Cohen with Attorneys First Insurance. As you all know who've been listening for a while, Sam writes errors and omissions insurance, also called E&O insurance, malpractice insurance, for attorneys and title companies all over the country. Now, he is here with me in Florida. You can't have him move to your state, but if you want him to quote in your state, you can contact him, Sam at attorneysfirst.com or uh, the website is attorneysfirst.com. And if he can't quote in your state, he'll either become licensed in your state or he'll find you an agent in your state. So if you know an attorney or title company, I would recommend that they contact Sam for an apples to apples comparison of their errors and omissions or their malpractice insurance uh, when it becomes due. But I want to focus on my guest. So he is the founder and owner of Anglia Advisors. He's a seasoned a CFP, Certified Financial Professional, that specializes in individuals coming out of a divorce and other uh, types of areas that you dealing with different life events. Uh, upon setting up Anglia Advisors, he realized that some advisors have a tendency to take advantage of people in divorce and other types of situations. So we wanted to have an emphasis on helping people who find themselves newly divorced, newly widowed, uh, newly uh, foreign nationals, new parents, you know, d- different types of populations that the typical financial advisor doesn't necessarily focus on. So uh, I want to welcome my guest on the show this week, Simon Brady. Welcome, Simon. Hi, Sean. Thank you for having me. So I want to focus on some of these areas. You know, a lot of people, when they go through one of these life events, they have a ton of questions. And that's one of the reasons, one of the ways that um, finances can be hugely impacted. And so I know that the way we got connected was was based on your help with people who are getting divorced. Uh, there's other areas that we can and that I do want to talk about. But I guess my first question here is, you know, what are some things somebody who is recently divorced uh, and they're looking at their financial plan? What's one? What are some things that they should uh, consider? Divorce tends to uh, create an enormous amount, uh, an enormous amount of movement. So many things have to be changed. It usually uh, precipitates a real estate event. Um, there can be sales and purchases of houses and apartments. It will always precipitate uh, a necessary change in things like life insurance, in things like uh, estate planning. I mean, when you get divorced, you've probably got to change that will. It necessity it can, depending on the decree, it can necessitate changes with things like college planning for children. Uh, it's going to affect your budgeting clearly because now it's a household of two plus people, and suddenly you are in a household of one. And that's before we even mention the, the, the investment side of things, where there can be sometimes very significant amounts of money shifting from joint accounts into individual accounts. 
And very often there's one partner in the uh, relationship who handles most of the finances and the other who didn't. And you very often have somebody who's not used to handling significant amounts of money or making decisions in the financial realm who suddenly is forced into a situation where they have to and right at a time when they're probably uh, not feeling their best. They're probably not as focused as they should be. So that's where I think um, uh, outsourcing some of this to a empathetic yet objective financial professional uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think for someone who is recently divorced, for someone who is recently widowed, especially that's where I see a lot of clients is uh, divorce or, or death of a spouse and the other spouse, the one who's who's gone for whatever reason, um, was the one who did all the finances. And so now they're coming to me saying, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I've got all this debt mounting up. Um, right. And, and I know that, so do you, you're located in the New York area. I think we said yep. pre-interview. Do you deal with clients just there or do you deal with clients all over? I'm a certified financial planner, a CFP, and that's a federal designation. Um, so I can, on the basis of that designation and the registered investment advisor that I set up, I can work with people anywhere. States do have certain rules. I can work with up to five people from any state or almost any state. Uh, once I hit my six, I have to register with that state. But frankly, registering with a state simply means sending them a bit of money. <laughs> it's not, it's, that's, that's all they care about. I'm not going to have to sit and do weeks of exams or anything else. So the bottom line is I can work with... Um, with anyone pretty much anywhere I in wish, the United States. I wish bar licenses were that easy. Yeah, I yeah. Could, it's, it's <laughs> get license in other. My wife would like that to get licensed for me to get licensed in other states. But the reason I asked that question, I wanted to sort of preface because I know one of the biggest issues that I deal with in terms of divorcing clients is where they have the joint mortgages, they have the joint cars, like you said, they have the joint real estate, and they're having to determine how to split all of that. And the problem is that a lot of times you can split the asset. You know, we, I, the divorce court can say, you know, wife keeps the car, husband keeps the house or, you know, whatever, wife keeps the house, husband keeps the car, whatever it may be. But that really has very little impact on the on the debt, on the finance side of it, right? I'm not a lawyer. I can't speak to the technical legal ins and outs of a, of a divorce process. And I tend to come in and work with clients once the divorce is completed. Um, a financial advisor working with somebody during the divorce process uh, is a different skill set um, and one that I, do, I don't particularly do. A lot of that is very like forensic accounting and stuff like that. Um, but yes, you're right. Um, sometimes, you know, the divorce decree comes out on a Monday and on the Tuesday, suddenly there's um, a lot of money sitting in a checking account on one hand and a whole bunch of debt sitting on the other. And how, how is that person, particularly if they were the, you know, uh, less sophisticated, uh, financially speaking partner in the relationship, how, how, how do you get those two things to meet efficiently, properly? Um, you know, there's debt that should be paid off as quickly as possible and there's other debt that is not is does not have that urgency to it as I'm sure your podcast have <laughs> right. learned right. Yes, you're right. This is uh, this is a problem that uh, we reasonably constantly see 
is that um, follow, you know, literally the day after a divorce decree comes out, you have big movements of money uh, into accounts. Um, you have deeds changing hands. Uh, you have pensions and everything else being affected and on one hand, and yet the debt um, remains on the other hand. And um, if somebody is not in the financial professional field, somebody's in education or medical or any other area, uh, it's very difficult for them to make that bridge, if you like, between the, the assets that have arrived and the liabilities that remain. And that's why I think uh, a professional can be of a lot of use there. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good idea. And I think you also mentioned, so if someone is just coming out of a divorce, just getting divorced, just widowed, and then even potentially, you know, new parents, or we mentioned, you know, you serving some of the younger community that some of the financial advisors don't want to talk to, what are some of the things that they should be looking at? For example, I know that they may want to look at uh, how they do their bill pay and and set up either some kind of automatic bill pay. They, Like you said, they may want to uh, take a look at what their will says, or do they even have a will? Uh, they want to take a look at the life insurance beneficiaries. You know, What does their retirement planning say? What kind of joint debt, what kind of joint assets, what kind of joint real estate do they now have to account for? What other types of things uh, do people in these communities, for lack of a better word, what are some other things that they need to look at in terms of, okay, now I'm, I'm newly single or I'm newly married or I'm newly widowed and what do I need to be concerned about? Uh, pretty much everything, um, uh, without being glib about it. Uh, I mean, as you progress from graduating college to the first job, I mean, even in the first job, someone's going to throw down on your desk uh, a 401k application form um, in which you are going to have to determine how much you're contributing to a 401k, what, you know, which funds out of a list of 25 funds you're going to put them into you're 22 years old you may have a you know may have graduated with an english literature degree or something you know how are you expected to do that no one in hr is going to help you um no regular financial advisor is interested in you because you've got no money so what do you do you end up asking your uncle or your brother-in-law or the guy you sit next to at work and you know you, you sort of start making mistakes right from day one um, you know, next thing that happens is you maybe you get another job. What do you do with your old 401k? You do with your new one. Um, you suddenly get pay raises. You start having a bit of discretionary income. What do you do with that? Do you pay off your student loans first or do you start saving for retirement or do you do both or do you do neither? Uh, then you meet someone, you get engaged, maybe you move in together. How on earth do you deal with that financially? Um, if you wanted to formalize the, the relationship, you're talking about individual accounts or joint accounts do you need a will now uh how, who should be on the deed if you buy an apartment should you buy an apartment or should you keep renting and then biggest of all the kids come along and then you've got and everything happens now you've got to move out of that apartment you're in um and you face all those choices again now you really for the first time in your life maybe need to have a conversation about life insurance you've got to get a will i will not tolerate clients who have children who don't have a will because that is just completely irresponsible um, because you need have guardianship issues. 
And then, you know, in 18 years time, you're going to need half a million dollars to put this kid through college. How, where, where's that going to come from? And then, you know, old aunties start dying and leaving you money. And maybe your parents get old or sick and you now have kids to look after and parents that you might have to look after. And then you have another one. Then you've got to move it. I mean, my God. <laughs> you're, you're scaring me now. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's scary, but it's sort of what everybody has to go through now. And yeah. um, to expect the average person to be able to navigate that whole that whole path is is I think expecting a lot. But but the fact is, seventy five to eighty percent of people do it themselves. There's only about twenty twenty five percent of people have a financial advisor. So um, most people try to try to get through all that themselves. And unsurprisingly, most people mess up. Yeah. Well, and it's you know I I've told this story before. I think maybe the beginning of the of the show, the you know, early, early episodes of the show. Uh, like you said, my first job, uh, I'm right out of law school working at one of my first jobs. Uh, I, and I graduated with a degree in accounting. So I like to think I'm no slouch when it comes to numbers. Uh, I'm not a CPA. Uh, I didn't take the required courses to sit for the CPA exam, but I did graduate with a degree in accounting and then went on to law school. And I'm sitting there at one of my first jobs and we get the financial advisor that comes in. It's a fairly big firm. The financial advisor comes in, talks to all the new employees. And I said, you know, hey, look, I'm, you know, an attorney now making some decent money, single guy, no no wife, no kids, no nothing. And, and I want to be a little aggressive with my investments. And he said, well, take a look at this. And he showed me this piece of paper. And I looked at it and I said, well, the charts are very pretty. Uh, you know, I like that you printed them out in color. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what does all this mean? And he said, well, study it and then let's get back together and we can talk about it more. Okay, fine. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I get a call. He said, hey, did you get a chance to look at any of that stuff I left you? I said, yeah, I, I looked at it again. I, I thought the colors you used were very bold and, you know, none of them really clashed with each other. But, I, you know, I think I need a little bit more handholding than what you gave me. And he said, well, you know, just keep, you know, study them. And I ended up finding a private guy, you know, finance, I, I invested in the, in, in the company 401k. And when I left that law firm, rolled it into the IRA with the guy that I had gone to, to and who sat me down and, and explained it to me and said, you know, yeah, you're right. You're young. Let's get aggressive. Let's do this and this and this. And, you know, as you get kids and as you age, we can pull back on some of the risk. We can do some of this. We can do some of that. And so he really, took the time to explain to me what was going on. And so that was, you know, cause like you said, you know, I, I know how to be an attorney and, and while I may be smart with finances and may, while I may be smart with investing, I know how to be an attorney. Uh, you know, I, you know how to invest, you know how to plan, you know how to create financial plans. So that's what, you know, we each sort of, we each sort of stay in our lane and, and do what we're supposed to do. I think that story is so is such a great story and one that, that people should hear because what it does is it it highlights what ninety percent of the financial services industry in this in this country is like right now. The reason that guy had no time for you was because not because he didn't like you and not because he was a bad guy. It's because of the compensation structure that he was under. He only he was under a transactional compensation structure, which 90% of advisors in this country are, whereby he only makes any income from 
uh, a particular type of transaction. And that would have been almost certainly, given the example you, you made, encouraging you to invest in particular funds, uh, which may or may not be suitable for you. That's not really, he doesn't really take that part of things seriously. What he really want, needs to do is have you invest as much as possible into a particular set of funds that compensate him round the back with commission. You're a, a young guy, you might have thought you were making a lot of money, but in, in his world, you probably weren't. What were you going to do, invest $500 a month, maybe? <laughs> right. Um, so he's, he's, no, he's no time for you because you don't, you don't matter. You're no, you're, you, you cannot switch on the money faucet for him. Whereas if you deal with a fee-only advisor, a, financial, a registered investment advisor like myself, I charge on a, a, essentially a project basis. So I've charged hourly fees. Um, I don't care how much you've got or you haven't got or how much you owe or whether you have a will or not. I don't, it really doesn't matter to me financially. Um, what matters to me is that you are um, in, motivated enough to want to do something about, about the situation and will um, provide compensation to me to be your guide through this. And we can deal with whatever you want. We can, I'm not a lawyer. I can't write a will, but I can talk to you for two hours if you want about why you need one. I don't have an insurance license because that would be a conflict of interest. If I did, I'd, sell, I'd say, oh, you need insurance. And I'd sell it to you. But if you do need insurance, I can objectively say, yes, you need it. And at that point, I can bring in an independent broker. I don't do taxes, but if you need someone to do your taxes for you, I can bring that person in. So I essentially take on projects. And the people like the guy you were describing, he's got no financial motivation to help you with your will. How's he going to monetize that? Unless he sells insurance, how's he going to monetize you dealing with your insurance need? Now, if he sells insurance, he will sell you the, he'll sell you a whole life policy or he'll promote you to get a whole life. He's not going to tell you about term because term doesn't pay him anything, hardly. Right. Well, so, and, and just for just for those, so again, I know, but but for those people who don't, Basically, what's the difference between term and and whole policy? Uh, term policy can cost ten times what a excuse me a whole policy can cost ten times what a whole what a term policy costs. A term policy is life insurance that covers you for a certain amount over a certain period of time, be it ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, thirty years, and at the end of that period, it expires. Uh, whereas a whole life policy will cover you for the whole of your life. I mean, there's lots of different versions of them, but essentially, um, depending how old you are, if you're the age you were at, 24 years old, in reasonable health, you could get a million-dollar term policy for the next 30 years for negligible amount of money. Um, and if it expires when you're 53... So what? By the time you're 53, you know, your kids could be out of college, your mortgage could be paid off. Um, you've probably had your rest of your life to build the assets up. You don't need life insurance at that point, or likely you don't. But if it turns out you do, you can convert or you can get some more that lasts out. Whereas the whole life policy is much, much more expensive and the insurance companies sell it as an investment vehicle because you get this uh, cash value. But too detailed to go into right now, but when you analyze the two next to each other, taking the money you're not spending on the whole life and putting investing it is always better 
than putting it all into a, a whole life policy. Yeah, and the, the big objection, or not objection, but the big problem that I see a lot is I, I do see a lot of people go down that road. Instead of buying the whole policy, let's buy the term policy and then let's figure out the difference between the premiums and then invest the difference. So if and I, these numbers may not be accurate, but if I was going to pay a hundred dollars a quarter for a term policy, uh, and I was going to pay a hundred dollars uh, a month for a whole policy, so you know, uh, three hundred dollars for the whole policy versus a hundred dollars for the term policy, let me take that two hundred dollar difference and invest it every quarter. Um, the problem is human nature. I mean, as as we. Yep. As we record this, you know, President Biden has just been inaugurated. We're talking about one of the things in my world is is rental assistance, and one of these things is that people have said is that uh, the federal government's going to give rental assistance to the tenants to then pay to the landlords. And my big question mark there is there are a good number of tenants out there that if they got 12 months of rental assistance – the chances of them paying that to their landlord to get current are slim. They're gonna, they're gonna buy a new car. They're gonna buy a new TV. They're gonna buy you know whatever. So, I think that that term whole policy um, comparison is sort of the same thing. You know, it's a good idea to say, well, there's a two hundred dollar difference between the two policies. Let me invest it. But the chances that I actually do invest it are are slim to none. So it could be. Uh, it could be an issue, but I, I sort of wanted to turn my attention to two other um, areas that we talk about that you serve. One is uh, foreign nationals. The other is our, like you said, our younger community, our our forty and under community, which unfortunately I'm not anywhere near anymore. Um, so, what are some of the ways that you've helped? Uh, the foreign national community, the under forty community. What are some things that you've been able to help them with? Uh, I mean, as you may have picked up on um, from hearing me, I'm originally from the UK. I went through the experience of coming here as a foreign national when I was about 25 years old. Obviously, uh, there are always, particularly in the New York area, there are a lot of, um, and actually where you are as well, there are a lot of uh, foreign nationals coming into the country, you know, some of them for two, three-year assignments, others getting married um, and they don't really know how long they're staying here but in most cases they arrive here on a visa um, and then that can depending on the circumstances graduate to a green card which can of itself then graduate to citizenship at some point Um, that's the journey that I went on in fact but along that journey there are enormous issues that Americans will not have to face there are very significant issues when it comes to estate planning. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about that, but if you troll through my website and on my blog page, uh, I've got some articles up there that actually outline these. But, um, you know, if you die over here on a visa, uh, it's going to be a very messy process. Um, your home country is going to want a piece of it. The American government's going to want a piece of it. Your taxation, obviously, is complicated. But things like credit. I mean, you arrive over here, maybe you've got a great job in Germany and you arrive here and you apply for a credit card. Um, Good luck with that. You're going to be treated like a kid coming right out of college. I don't care if you had a $50,000 limit on your Amex back in Berlin. Uh, You're an American now. Um, So there are credit issues. Uh, I bet you if you take 10 expats and stick them in a 
bar two weeks after they've arrived, the most common complaint you're going to hear is credit. It's just it, it, it's just a huge problem. There's no real way around it. You can there are some strategies you can do to speed it up, but that's that's one thing. Um, so there's a lot of that. So I will sit and give a um, a consultation to hopefully a newly arrived foreign national. I haven't got all the answers, but I do say to them, okay, here's a list of like ten things that you're going to face in the next in the next uh, six months, and no one else is going to tell you this. Your human resource department is not going to help you. Your even your Deloitte accountant, who the company's paying for, is probably not going to tell you all this. Certainly, your old employer back in Germany is not going to tell you this. So here's all the things you need. Here's some decisions you've got to be very careful about. So that's how I work with foreign nationals primarily. And the uh, the other group that general, I mean, it sort of comes back a little bit to what what I was talking about in that little monologue I gave before um, with the the younger people. I mean, they just they just move from one life event to another year after year, and each one of those uh, triggers things. And I think what's important to understand is that what you do with your money, your investments during your 20s are far more important than your investments during your 50s. They will have far more effect on your final balance of your retirement fund, what you do in your 20s. What you do in your 50s really is, is, is the least important because you've got a very, very small time frame involved. Um, you cannot take enormous amounts of risk because uh, that makes no sense because if the stock market crashes, you've got to constantly guard against that by having more conservative portfolios. But when you're in your 20s and you're saving for retirement, I mean, who cares if the stock market crashes? It doesn't matter because you're three decades away from touching the money. So you can afford to be extremely aggressive. And it's these, it's these investments that you make in your 20s that really determine what the balance is going to be in your 60s, not, you know, you with your 30% stock, 70% bond contributions when you're 54. I mean, that's <laughs> not going to make any difference at all. Right. So um, it, it's ironic, but the further away you are from retirement, the more important it is what you do for retirement. Yeah, that makes that makes uh, a lot of sense. And so I didn't give out the uh, the the website. So if people do want to contact you, the easiest way to do that is go- to go to angliaadvisors.com, which is A N G L I A Advisors, A D V I S O R S dot com, angliaadvisors.com. And again, I'll put that in the notes for people that want the to to be able to click on the link. They can they can do that. Um, but yeah, that would be the best way to, to read your blog and read your materials and, and contact you and, and get to know you better. And, and I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm, I'm pushing 50. I'm, I'm two years away from being 50, which uh, I can tell you, sort of, I sort of feel like I'm still a 20-year-old or 30-year-old sometimes. Uh, sometimes my body reminds me uh, otherwise. But um, yeah, no, I totally agree. It's I, I was a lot more aggressive when I first started investing than than I am today because, you know, again, when I first started investing, I didn't have a wife, I didn't have kids. Uh, I, I was, you know, retirement was something that, you know, old people did, not me. Um, <laughs> right. And, and now, uh, you know, now I've got two kids, I've got a wife and, 
my wife asked me the other day, when do you want to retire? And I said, yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, it, it's and one thing I will say, if I could just jump in one, sure. uh, one other big advantage that, that people in this demographic, and I'm talking sort of, you know, 25, 28, 30 years old have over the rest of us is not just the enormous amount of time that they have until they need this retirement money, but the ease with which this kind of investing can be done now relative to, I mean, what were we doing when we were 22, 23, 24, 25? If we wanted to invest, we had to write a check and put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and send it off to, to was it even Charles Schwab back then? I don't know. It was <laughs> messy. It was horrible. Um, the, money, the commissions that the, the stockbrokers would charge were enormous take a few days you had no idea what the market was doing unless you listen to the news these days um you know i can set up and i did this the other day with a client i can sit down set up an ira with a client and have it fully funded in between two and three minutes um it's just so easy and we can set up auto contributions to go in twice a month on certain days of the month i can set that up in two minutes so they've no excuse that we had, we sort of had an excuse that it was a bit painful to do. They, this generation doesn't have that excuse. It's yeah. It'll easy. be interesting when I, my kids are still less than 10, but it'll be interesting. I need to start teaching them about money anyway. And, and, and I got lucky as, as I believe my mom's social security is, is funding college plans in addition to what we put in, uh, is funding college plans for all of her grandkids, including my kids. So we're, we got lucky there, but yeah, I definitely need to start teaching my kids uh, about finances and financial planning as well. So, um, as we get sort of towards the end here, anything that you wanted to add? Anything we forgot to talk about? I mean, I th- I think j- just that point, Sean. That there, the the earlier you start it, the better. The best time to start financial planning is five years ago. Um, the second best time is always now. So it, 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 it is never too early, uh, but it is always too late to do this. Um, so I think uh, if people are in that, in that age group um, whereby they're starting to have discretionary income at the end of every month, don't feel that you have to go this alone just because the Merrill Lynch and the Morgan Stanley guys aren't interested in speaking to you because you don't have the money. There is a, um, there are a group of financial advisors and they're particularly fee only advisors. That's what you want to look for who are not paid by commission and who are willing to work with you, um, for a fee on a, uh, on an hourly basis. And you, you sort of alluded to it before. If my car starts making noises, I'm not even going to pretend that I have any clue what to do with it. I'm going to take it to a mechanic. Uh, I'm not going to try and open up that and do it myself. So right. uh, with something as important as money, uh, it's very important to know what you don't know. Very good. Well, I think that would be a, a great way to sort of wrap it up. So again, if somebody's interested in contacting you, the easiest way is angliaadvisors.com. Simon, thank you. I, I appreciate uh, you being a guest on this week's episode of the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. And so uh, something you may may enjoy, one thing I say at the end of every episode is that I hope at the end of the month you have more money rather than at the end of the money you have more month. 
That will, I think, do it for this week's episode of the Crushing Debt Podcast, and we will catch you all uh, in next week's episode. If you have questions that you think would make a great topic for a future episode, please email Sean or connect with us on social media. Sean Yesner and Yesner Law PL are Florida licensed attorneys. The information contained in this week's episode is not a substitute for legal advice. Your situation may differ, especially if you are located somewhere other than the state of Florida. If you have questions, please contact our office or contact a local attorney. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Crushing Debt Podcast. Thank you.